off the top. Apparently, if you put Viagra in a flower vase, it'll make the flower stay up longer. Play the This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. All right, welcome to the Dominique Foxworth Show. I have a special surprise before we get into our special guest, Gojo. I need y'all to watch this. I feel like winning the Super Bowl is like kind of an ick. <laughs> like, okay, don't be the best. <laughs> it's kind of gross. It's like, oh, you beat up all the other boys. People are like, how could he yell at his old coach in his face? <laughs> yeah. This is a man mm-hmm. who the testosterone levels are so high yeah. that his brain cells are fully just zapped. Mm-hmm. And for a living, he gets pushed around yeah. and hit in the head. He's a human gladiator. <laughs> the fact that he didn't beat the <laughs> out of his coach is actually a miracle. If a woman shows an emotion at all, specifically while doing her craft or like whatever, it'd be like... This is why women don't run the country. <laughs> I mean, you're so emotional. I mean, that's crazy. But he did it, and they were like, oh, he's just passionate about his sport. Also, imagine and Taylor like- Swift sing Viva Las Vegas when she won Album of the Year. Everyone would be like, <laughs> this is a medical emergency. <laughs> Visiting hours are over. Bring her back to the ward. I, I need to ask off of that. Is that the best Super Bowl analysis you've heard in the last week? I want to know everything about the Giggly Squad now. What a phenomenal synopsis of the sport. So I'm I'm just um, whipping through my TikTok, and it pops up on my thing, and I thought it was funny, so I sent it to Charlie. Apparently, these are people that I should know. They're, like, famous or people that other people know. I just thought it was some, like, quirky girls who made me laugh because they're right. Yep. So they have a great podcast, but they both come from Summer House on Bravo. They're cast members. And I've talked about this. Eventually, I will be at a Summer House party as an extra (laughs) in the background. It will happen. I've always found it interesting. Like football is is like a very uniquely American thing. thing. And I've told you guys before, like at business school, it's like a bunch of international people. And it's like the first time when people get their first experience of football, listening to them talk about it is really great it's it's not the best because you don't want to be (laughs) but it's close to the best being the best is such a huge ick which by the way like what a healthy way to look at it's like you don't have to be the best at anything in fact that might be too much that's overwhelming but no i had the same experience you're talking about dominique uh humble brag we had uh Thierry Henry uh and a lot of the champions coverage crew from cbs on the show and but no trying like talking to them about what their experience around Radio Row and the Super Bowl was was fascinating because Thierry is more famous than pretty much everyone we had yeah. there. And he was still like, I grew up with a Raiders starter jacket, and that was my introduction to football was them and watching the Giants. Like it's just fascinating to see how different people come to this and then how they experience it and the regurgitate tough, it back. The tough thing about it is you can't help but realize how stupid it is when people are explaining it to you. And that was my experience where they're like, so you got four down. What's a down? Why do you have four downs? Why do you, And then it's like, why do you have to stop and talk between plays? And I'm kind of like, yeah, this is dumb. But you know what? I regain my superiority when I tell them to throw something. Because that's, oh, yeah, that, yeah. that's the thing that I've learned about a lot of, uh, like, international athletes and they're like good athletes at their yeah. own sports or whatever the, feet, sweet but feet. the thing that you don't realize is like football and baseball are like pretty like american they're, they're played in other places but it's very like 
local to America. I understand, like, uh, at least it's like it excludes Europe to a degree, you know? Yes. So, like, there's like Asian countries and like South American countries that participate in baseball, but Europe is not really into it. So, like, the European guys would come over and like talk about football, ask them fools to throw something. They get real, they, they're a lot less tough there. Ask them to catch something. If they don't have to use their feet, they look real uncoordinated. Us Americans, we grow up throwing and catching. They did that with, um, I forget which Formula One driver it was, but they had him and Tyreek Hill doing oh, this yeah. reaction thing where one would hold the tennis balls up right, top that. and the other would move their hands. And the whole thing was to show how the Formula One driver actually was reacting quicker than Tyreek Hill. And I forget if it was Derek Klassen or somebody that quote tweeted was like, all right, we'll now ask him to go and catch something and then dodge a 250-pound guy that's trying to destroy him and end his life and then see how well it works out for him. Oh, my gosh. I mm. love it. But anyway, the Giggly Squad is um, now they're probably – so it's a weird thing. As we talked about this Super Bowl, a lot of people have been talking about how Taylor Swift's appearance in the Super Bowl has brought a whole different fan base to mm-hmm. football. Not me and Gojo. <laughs> yeah, not you and Gojo. You are her fans and also football fans. But I feel like because of their interest in football, football it might bring a bunch of this weird football fans because my tiktok algorithm would never have shown me the giggly squad because the giggly squad wouldn't be talking about football i'm assuming wouldn't be talking about football if it weren't for the fact that this super bowl was a uniquely i don't know uh suburban white women's super bowl this, this, <laughs> like, is the, this is the super bowl that brunched oh there Ooh, we go that, that's a, yeah see, this that's super bowl hit man. bottomless mimosas and is catching oh, that yeah. buzz at just the right time someone might right. jump up on a chair soon and start throwing some <laughs> it's gonna be fun Ooh, throw us <laughs> all right so here we go i got a question to get us back on track and i mean i have, will never lose my cool but to regain some cool for both of you Texas Hold'em or 16 Carriages? Go, Joe. Pick one. Go. So I've only listened to a bit of 16 Carriages because I didn't realize we got a second track. I can't get enough. 16 is the right answer. I can't get enough of Texas Hold'em, though. I have been – I take a little walk down by the beach every day after I get done with our show in the morning, and I'm just walking around. You know where it's like all those memes of people? It's like me (laughs) driving to my nine-to-five job listening to gangster rap. It's yeah. me bopping down the beach, listening to Texas Hold'em, just having the best time of my life, waving at people's dogs. I love that song. <laughs> waving, it's perfect. I will say, like, I try to be a progressive man, and every now and then, a music video pops up. Like, nope, you are a Lane Johnson-looking troglodyte, simple human being. That's right. Because maybe the reason I don't like 60, or I don't like Texas Hold'em nearly as much as like 16 Candles is that video is distracting. Mm-hmm. Just, pick one, Charlie. Which one? Texas Hold'em. All right. All right. So I got a game for you guys. You guys are uh, football savants, knowledgeable football people. Um, the game is called Signal or Noise. We're going to talk. We're going to look back at the entire NFL season. And we're going to look at some specific events. And I'm going to ask you, is this just noise that we talked about that doesn't really indicate something moving forward? Or is this a signal of things to come? Okay. And what it means. The first one, the best offenses are based on yak, yards after the catch, rather than driving the ball downfield. This is because if you look at the 49ers and the Chiefs, they are teams that are yak-based. They don't have... The X driving the ball down the field. Of course, you have Patrick Mahomes, but the way defenses have played him, they've moved their safeties back. They forced him to take what the defense is giving him. So is this a sign of things to come or is this just noise? 
Um, I think it's just noise. And, and this is directly attacks one of my aphorisms about football is you need a deep threat. Like I think every team needs a true number one deep threat to scare you. And, and it's uh, connected to my bias as a cornerback, but I have a hard time believing that this is the way that we're going to go. And this is like for, for uh, these two teams, they're uniquely designed. So like the, the yak is a reaction for the chiefs to the way that people are covering them. And the yak for this 49ers is just how this offense has been developed over the years of having like average to below average quarterbacks and highly talented skill players. I'm not sure that that, and I guess I should, I should check this while Gojo responds, but I'm not sure that the, the dolphins or that the rest of the offenses in the league, their numbers are as Zach as yak heavy as the top two teams at the end. What do you think, Gojo? Yeah, I would say it's, it's noise mostly because so much of this is always, and, and I think football is so unique in that you're always at the mercy of your resources a lot more so than the other sports, just because there's more parts involved. And so based on a salary cap sport where there's this influx of different talented bodies every year, you're always trying to make use of that. And so when the chiefs did start getting played differently, large part because of Tyreek Hill and the way that people were responding to big play offenses. Now you've had that happen eventually with what we've also seen become a trend around the league, which is a lot of really competent run games dominating their way through the postseason mm -hmm. because boxes got lighter because more so the resources started going towards the back end. Eventually that's going to course correct because the easiest way to get beat is when you can't stop. We saw it all playoff. It's the right. oldest cliche in football, but there's only so much of that D coordinators are going to take before bigger bodies and more bodies start to flood their way back into the box. And then you're going to get more of those favorable matchups back. Yeah. Those ebbs and flows happen in football all the time and people reacted to them. It's important to be on the cutting edge of that before you get cut. If you're a follower in that, uh, it's going to be too late once you switch. But I think what jumps out to me for both of these two teams in the Super Bowl, and I guess, even you throw the lions in there too. And probably, I guess you could argue the, the uh, Ravens also, because I've talked about the number one receiver and none of these teams, I guess Hollywood or not Hollywood. That was the the time they tried it uh, mm -hmm. before, but yeah, there's really no like true, true number one in mm -hmm. the bunch, which is something I've always believed that you had to have. Well, I also think part of this is we're assuming that like with all these guys, we're talking about some of the best play callers in the NFL and some of the best play designers in the NFL. And we're assuming that that's something that's accessible to everybody. A lot of places mm -hmm. are dealing with coordinators that aren't nearly as talented. And so what's a much easier way to offset that by having dog wide receiver who can go out there and burn everyone else and asking right. him to be the one that affects the defense, not the coach being the one that with the right. structure of the offense affects the defense. Well, and that's what I wondered about the, in like the dolphins are a really interesting example of this elite play caller, bad offensive line who they're able to mass by getting the ball out as quickly as possible. But the dolphins were fourth in yak per completion. Yeah. Yeah, it's I mean, I think their yak is different, though. When you think of yak yeah. per completion, you think of short passes that someone turns into something big. Yeah. I, I mean, I have a laundry list in my mind of passes where uh, Tyree Hill catches it at 20 yards down the field uh, and then it turns it into 40. Their yak yeah. is different. So it feels like it's not like turning four into 12 as much well, as for them. It's turning 20 into 30 a bunch of times. The reason I brought up the Dolphins, because I wonder if this is indicative, because you you look this up before the show and the offensive lines by were rated not as highly yeah. by PFF for the Chiefs and the 49ers is 
can, in this new modern NFL, can yak in certain ways, not just mask flaws with your receiver room, but also with your offensive line. Because I do think that's a huge thing of what the Dolphins did. They got the ball out quicker than anyone. Yeah. I mean, I think there's all yak isn't created equal. Mm -hmm. And I think there's like Debo yak, which is often the hardest to get in my view, where it's like screen pass is short swing. It's uh, a dig that he turns into something like or actual broken tackles, which Mm -hmm. is different than scheme yak, which I think you get a lot of with, um, I think of the lions as a team that schemes up open plays to get, to get yak. So I think the scheme ones are, I guess that all of it can be in your mind, but the scheme ones very much like the Dolphins, those seem like they could be hedges against your offensive line or in that case, hedges to protect your quarterback. But I just have a hard time imagining that. And I think as I look at the list of the people with the the players with the top yak, it is Tyreek Hill, CeeDee Lamb, uh, got Amon Ross, St. Brown, Puka Nakua, Rasheed Rice. Yeah, it's a lot of the best offenses in football. But I still, I guess, fundamentally, I'm trying to find a way to make sure that I'm not wrong in my wide receivers thing. So I'll let Gojo talk before I, I come to my final conclusion. No, I, I think ultimately you're right. Like, I don't know. And I think we think of like go balls as the only like deep option. Like think about how many seams Tyreek Hill mm-hmm. has destroyed up the field where all of a sudden the yak comes after that, or you find this area Deep-overs. in the middle of the field. Like it doesn't necessarily register the same. And Dominique, I've heard you talk about it, how, a number one wide receiver bends the field a certain way based on how a defense has to allocate resources. And in my head, like I've always said to you, DB play and O-line play are very similar. So I look at wide receivers and pass rushers the same way, where when you've got a marquee pass rusher, it changes the way that you've got to account resources up front on each and every play, which feeds into Charlie's point, which is I do think some of this is, hey, it's an admission that we know where our flaws are. Like with the Kansas City Chiefs, Tackle was an issue this year. You had trouble with that, and so you had to respond, and Patrick Mahomes knew this as well as Andy did, by getting the ball out faster because you're only going to have so much time if you're compromised in these areas because we had to allocate resources accordingly because we had to pay our quarterback. And with the Dolphins, some of that was injury-based. Like, hey, we were a meat grinder up front. We had too many bodies coming through, so we got to make sure that we plug this hole by getting the ball out on time and giving our quarterback a chance to get the playoff, let alone be successful. You nailed it. And one of the shocking things about this season is that I think a a PFF list that I looked at today had the Chiefs at 19 and the 49ers at 21 as far as best offensive lines in football, which I'd always kind of believe like that's where I start. Mm -hmm. And I think you led us to a point that I think is where I wanted to end up is I'm not sure that what I believe is that you need to have a number one receiver. That's like a shorthand way of saying. And it's exactly what you're saying is I want a dude that people are afraid of. And that's why your D-line comparison is perfect as a coordinator. If I'm an offensive or defensive coordinator, I want someone who his just mere presence requires that you as a coordinator on the other side, that you adjust to that. And so there are things in your playbook that you can't even call. If I got Tyreek Hill, there are things that you can't even call. And I think for both of these teams, they have some of that in different ways. And Christian McCaffrey is that guy where you'll rarely see a light box on first down because Kristen's there. And because of that, that opens up other things. So more than just the number one receiver, and I think because I'm a cornerback and because big plays scare the hell out of me, that's what I think. But more than anything, I want a queen, like to use a chess analogy. Mm-hmm. I just want a queen out there that when I move that player, you, go, you all are aware that I'm moving them. 
when I run it to that player or hand it to that player or throw it to the player, and I know that because he's out there, you are going to be hesitant to do any of the wild stuff that you want to do. So whoever that player is, and I guess for the uh, for the the Chiefs, I don't know. I guess it's Travis Kelsey, but no, Travis Kelsey doesn't break defenses like that anymore. I don't know that they have one. They might break the rule, but what they do have is a quarterback which seems unique where uh, you take away the deep passes, he's going to hit the middle area. If you take away the deep passes in the middle area, he'll just run it. So it's like a, it's a tough spot when you have someone that smart. But I'm willing to say that the Chiefs are the exception to this rule that I'm making where I want. And again, like you said, defense, too. Like, I want a corner that that y'all are like, all right, we can't throw over there. Or a D lineman that's like, we can't leave him in one-on-one. I need that. That's going to make my life easier as a coordinator. I'll let Charlie move us along if we're running long on this particular no, 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 question. No, no, no. Don't but worry about it. On, on this, uh, John Donowski is the head lacrosse coach at Duke, and he coined the best term for what you're talking about that I ever heard, is he always said offensively, I need a party starter. I need mm-hmm. the guy that can initiate offense and beat his one-on-one matchup to force the rest of the defense to adjust and bend to his will. So I have two questions coming off of that because one of the things that just popped in my mind when you guys were talking about, because I think we should get to the QB evals and how this changes with the way defenses are going to play them now. Um, But we used to see contested catch receivers. Like DeAndre Hopkins is sort of like the last of his kind. He's not that fast. He doesn't really get open, but he makes plays to move the sticks. Are those guys going to be the ones who are replaced as these pseudo number one receivers by guys who can get open in space and get yak the puka nakua's the cooper cups etc i'm on i'm on ross st browns i never liked those guys <laughs> yeah i mean i never liked those guys i loved playing against those guys but i never liked them as uh as an offensive uh player and it's like the game that that guy is an evolution on the dude that'll go across the middle we don't need dude that is willing to go across the middle anymore because the rules have changed. Changed. So like the tough physical guy, they have their place, and maybe this is my own bias again creeping in. I I don't feel like we need the game plan for the dude that's gonna get open and catch a seven yard, ten yard, or it's not. It's not gonna get open and it's gonna catch contested uh, chain movers. We don't have the game plan for that, so that doesn't yeah. scare me as a defensive player. I think it's so interesting. I feel like we're just like Rosetta Stone right now because I'm just going to translate this into front seven language so I can understand it. But that sounds like a run-stuffing D-tackle, right? Like Mike Pinnell was great in the Super Bowl. I don't have to change what I'm doing for that guy. Mm -hmm. I know how to block him. I know where he's going to be. But nothing about his game scares me. It's effective. But when you get those guys, it's like the difference between facing that and Aaron Donald where every play I'm holding on to my figuring out who's going to come help me and I don't have I don't live with that same like healthy fear of that guy you're blocking when it's that case so I don't think it's going to be an outright replacement Charlie to answer your question there like I don't think it I don't think it yeah, those, becomes or replaces the value, but it's got a, It's always going to have a place in football, I guess. If you way. if you accept my premise that those are just evolutions on the possession receiver go over the middle receiver, they had a lot more value when you needed someone to go over the middle. The force teams to defend the middle of the field. Now you don't. There's no fear of going over the middle. Like you can run a dig with whomever, and so as long as we can threaten the middle of the field in some sort of way, that's all we need to do is to be able to plausibly. And I think the Ravens did as did the best job all year long of any team of threatening every area of the field. They didn't do it as well in the playoffs, but in the course of a game, watching them 
their coach and their players just like run jet sweeps, run inside zone, like in the course of one series, run a deep out on both sides, attack on post down the middle field, hit the tight end. You watch one drive, you're like, damn, all right, they just did everything. Where, where are we going to shift the help? I don't know. And then Lamar scrambles for 10 yards too, and you just feel like there is no hope unless you have Patrick Mahomes. I, so what you're talking about is I, I think what's at the center of so much of offense now and in general is you got to present a lot of options. And the one thing that I would say for the possession type receiver now is I think we most often associate them with being guys that are willing to go up and mix it in and blocking. It's the thing that's most impressive to me about all the Shanahan McVay coaching trees is they all put such premium on wide receivers. Like we talked about like the big slot as like a wide receiver type where you're willing to get down in the box and all these condensed formations that help them in so many ways and get to a lot of the pin and pull runs that we saw, especially this postseason against the 49ers. A lot of that dirty work in the box that is what makes these like heavily 11 personnel reliant run games be able to work is you've got a guy who, yeah, maybe before he was the contested catch across the middle guy. Now he's, hey, I can give you a contested catch in traffic, but I'm also going to mix it up in this other way that's become increasingly more valuable in a lot of these schemes. Yeah, the yeah the yards after catches. I mean, it's really just being about afraid of big plays. Big plays crush you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash df today to get 10 percent off your first month that's better help com slash df now let's talk about the play of the week the pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac weighing heavy on the team hypnotic was in the cup blue and ready for the play and boom on yeho tequila came in with a smooth assist to hypnotic's tropical fruit finish shaken strained poured it was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur. Barnstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, 
poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, let's pivot from wide receivers to quarterbacks. The position that coming off that, that game that we just saw in the Super Bowl a week ago, we know having a dude matters. How you get the dude? That's what I want to know if it's signal or noise. Because Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, who got outplayed by Joe Flacco, who was on the couch two weeks before the playoffs. My question to you guys, is it a signal or noise that big quarterback acquisitions do not work? Hmm. So that's a tough one. I I would like to say that it's noise. Or no, 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 it's a signal. Yeah, I think that's it. It's a signal. I don't love the big quarterback acquisitions. I think that quarterback acquisition is fine, but let's go to the thrift store. Let's see what they got, what, we, what that Mayfield hitting on. I like I'm not trying to I'm not trying to go overpay for a top level quarterback. I know we got the example of Tom Brady, but Tom Brady is the discount king. Matt Stafford. And Matt Stafford is the example of the pushback. But these seem like these quarterbacks aren't available that often. What mm-hmm. it's gonna cost you. I guess the Rams is the perfect example how to do it because you would think that it's gonna cost you a lot to make the trade the capital going forward, but the Rams have been able to bounce back pretty quickly, but I don't know. I need some more time to think. So say something, Gojo. I like how you're like, we don't need that Aaron Rodgers. We got Baker Mayfield at home. All right. <laughs> yeah. I, that's really dumb when you put it that way, but it's, Baker Mayfield but like, had a much better season than Aaron Rodgers. Well, he did, but like, I don't know. To me, this is noise because mm-hmm. most of the samples we're talking about are either incomplete or so wildly different in their entry point. Like, Deshaun Watson, we have no purview for a player that missed as much time for the reasons that he did in the middle of what was a prolific career on the field and how that can affect things. Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles four plays into his Jets tenure, and so I'm kind of leaving that one to be determined until we see him on the field for a majority of this season, understanding that injury with an older player is something you have to build into the model when you make that kind of acquisition. Russell Wilson also gets thrown in there, but I I guess – it always points back to the same thing for me, which is the environment that you've built around those players and that you're bringing them into matters so much. And so when you've got Sean McVay or when you had Bruce Arians and you had the rosters built up around those guys in those spots and the quarterbacks coming in from their very specific situations, it can still work and make sense. But it's a reminder that like everything else, drafting a quarterback, none of it's foolproof. All right, guys, I have a theory. My theory is it is a signal, but not a signal that acquiring a good quarterback is not a good thing. Obviously, that's a good thing. We know you need a dude. My theory is that this is like that really hot person, you know, that signal that's single and has been single forever. And you're like, why? Something has to be wrong with this. What's up with this lemon? So when you're (laughs) calling a team and they're like, You're like, hey, can I have your two-time MVP, Aaron Rodgers? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure, take him. Can I have uh, Russell Wilson? No, he'll never do high knees down the aisle of an airplane. He'll never kiss any babies and shake hands. Or Deshaun Watson. And the Texans are like, yes, please, please. anything. Young, Um, too. That's usually a sign that the signal is, if your star quarterback's available, 
they're not really the star quarterback you want to acquire. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the argument, well, I guess this supports your argument because I would say that Matt Stafford has been different, but mm -hmm. Matt Stafford wasn't that situation. It was more like he was coming to the end of the career and the the um, the Lions, Matt Stafford and Sean McVay kind of orchestrated this and then involved the teams, right? And then the Lions like, yeah. sure, we'll move on from it, right? That, that still yeah. supports your theory. Uh, the other time, I guess Peyton Manning would go back pretty far, uh, and he was bad one year after he was good one year. And he had a neckyotomy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> had a neckyotomy, and, and luck was available. And then there's the Tom Brady situation where they didn't have to pay that much. Like, he's a free agent. Yeah. I know they didn't have to pay that much to him either, personally. Like, yeah. it didn't, it wasn't a commitment, same level of commitment. So I think your theory. Is an interesting one. Yeah, people don't move on from good quarterbacks, but uh, I mean, we almost saw it with Lamar, though. Like that almost got mm -hmm. way weirder than it normally does with a quarterback of his caliber. Right? Do we believe that? Yeah. Or was it just? So you think that the Ravens, because they would have had a chance to match the deal, right? Oh, I think they would have probably matched. I thought we were going to say, do you believe there's collusion that a team didn't go after? Oh no, 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 no. I just mean, do you believe that they were actually ready to move on from him? I don't, but I also, like, I think our whole point is, like, when you know you've got something special, you yeah. usually don't even risk it. And there was right. risk built in. There are things that another team right. could have, in theory, done that would have made it very difficult for the Baltimore Ravens to go about doing that. Where I, I'm with you. Overall, do I think they were really serious about letting him walk? Absolutely not. But they opened it up to a possibility more so than it happens with a guy who goes on to win the MVP the following season. You know what I, th I, th I think, to your point, Gojo, I think they were serious if he was only going to take more guaranteed money than Deshaun Watson. And I think that all the owners around the league looked at that contract and were like, this is a bleeping joke. We're not giving our quarterbacks this contract. Um, what we, whatever we think about that, if that's right or wrong, I think that's how they viewed it. And once he softened it to the point you've made a million times, Dominique, he's going to get all the money. Yeah, he's getting every money that's every dollar that's in his contract, but it's not going to be written out in a way that they have to put it all in escrow right. the second he signs the dotted line. Yeah. Um. What about my uh, Gojo made a fool of my let me go thrift shopping idea? But what about that? What if there are? I mean, quarterback. I think that's what I'd be looking for more than anything because it's more likely as guys who have talent. And you could plausibly suggest that there were other things that got in the way of them having success. And guys that the expectations would be low for, and you're asking, uh, I guess the, the thing that we do every year is we pick a couple teams, we say they're a quarterback away. And I think more than anything, the, the signal in all this is there's no such thing. I don't know that I believe in that anymore because uh, we haven't really seen anybody who we thought was a quarterback away get a quarterback and then it actually turned into something, right? Am I... Am I misremembering it? But who was the team? The Rams, the one, the quarterback away. The Bucks, quarterback well, away. No I, other of these teams that we thought were quarterback away added a quarterback and actually got better. I think it depends if you're saying if you if you acquired them via trade or free agency. But if you look at the guys who are acquired traditionally through the draft, like you look at what C.J. Stroud did, you look at the way Joe right. Burrow is a is like a program changer. Like guys like that. If you get a dude, yeah, so that's that's. Not I'm just fair. saying, but it's still like you are a quarterback away. A lot of these no. rosters are. We're talking about a different yeah. type of team. Yeah, yeah. Everybody is a superstar away. Yeah, like sure. a future Hall of Famer away. Yeah, sure. That's every team in football. 
future Hall of Fame quarterback, yeah, you're you're that guy away. I mean, the whole concept of mm-hmm. having teams that, like the Jets are the example, teams that we assume as a quarterback away, I don't know that, that I believe that that's a thing, which it may be case by case, but I don't know that I believe it's a thing. I, we haven't really seen it work. I think, I guess in that way, you could talk me into this being a signal in that we have to be more cognizant. Like we thought it was a signal that, oh, we're going to see this as a pattern. Clearly copycat league took over and everyone was like, all right, if you've got this great roster, then you just need to go pull one guy. I mean, hell, the 49ers, Kyle Shanahan had admitted they were trying to coax Brady out of retirement. Mm -hmm. They thought Brock Purdy wasn't going to be ready for week one. So it was that copycat-ish. And now we're seeing... Yeah, it might require a real more specific set of circumstances than you're going to encounter in a given offseason. So maybe you're better off getting a Baker Mayfield and then waiting until you can get to a point where you do find a dude that becomes available. Did, I think we did we just learn that acquiring a normal quarterback is not like acquiring Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. Yeah. Did we do it all of that. Yeah, to yeah. The five best and, guys and, yeah, yeah. And Matt Stafford. Yeah, that was yeah. Next question. All right. Last one. Um I want to talk about, is this signal or noise that the the Eagles' brain drain is going to change who they are materially as a team? They did go 10-1 and one to start the year, but they had a series of one-possession wins that sort of inflated the raw wins total compared to what the nerds were telling us, how good they were, and masked the scheme issues that occurred when they lost Jonathan Gannon. Pew, pew, pew. And second. Yeah. I mean, I think for the Eagles, yeah, but I, I think broader – the thing is the signal that I want to remember from this is we have to believe what they show us. Mm-hmm. And I always say this every year, but I can't fully internalize it is that you don't get to bring stuff from the previous season. And like the Eagles were winning close games and we all were like making the joke that, Hey, it's just like the Vikings, but we were all like laughing. Like, no, but they're better than the Vikings because we saw what they were capable of. Like, no, this is a different team. And whether it's because of coaching brain drain or some other some other commitment to preparation or strategy or something else changed, you just have to understand that the circumstances from season to season are very different, even if the roster is very similar. And also the circumstances from the beginning of the season to the end of the season are different. So while we can carry some piece of who this team was, Forward, you have to look at the sample that they give you now because the Eagles were the same bad team all season long. They got worse, but they were the same, like, eh, mediocre is probably fair team all season long, and we were not willing to accept it until they were completely terrible and couldn't tackle anybody. Yeah, I I think I'll say it is a signal, but, like, it – to Dominique's point, it's complicated because we also know part of this was roster decisions. It was decisions mm-hmm. they made about the value of certain positions that affected this. But I do think that in this league, we've seen even in places where coaching is stable, there's an importance every year of making sure you develop yourself in a way that is slightly different and recognizes, hey, this is going to be the response to what people did to us last year or what we did to people last year. And with the Eagles, it felt like they became so reliant on, well, we're just going to out-talent everybody in a very simple scheme after we already showed people all of that. And now they're going to adjust. And there are going to be minor things that change during the course of the year that are going to make us slightly less effective, whether that's a well poorly timed injury, whether that's to change in the play call or the voice in the room. And so the Eagles got stagnant at a time where coming off of being one of the teams 
that was incredibly exposed. You had the kind of success that they did in that division, in that conference last year. Of course, people were going to spend a lot of bandwidth trying to figure out how to game you the other way. Yeah, you got to evolve, especially when you're the top dog. It's natural selection. Is the entire league is not the entire league, but at least people in your division and the teams in your conference. Once you have success, and we saw that with Mahomes, they're going to mm-hmm. their team, the players they select, the schemes that they focus on, uh, the strategy that they practice all offseason is going to be geared towards answering the questions that you put that you've posed. And you need to have the next uh, genetic modification to allow you to survive in this new ecosystem. Yeah. I love science. Think think about the Chiefs. That's why we've lauded them. They're the most resort. They've become the new Patriots in that they can morph into whatever the situation calls for. Well, but imagine if the Chiefs had replaced, you know, Eric Biennemi with Matt Patricia. Yeah. That's that's tough. Oh, that's God. tougher. They brought they brought in Nagy, and I mean they also have Andy very heavily yeah. involved in offense, also. And but they that's kept, a very different type of coach. Than I mean, why are we Sirianni? talking about their offense when Spags is the one that really is the one that we should be crediting? They kept Spags, who is constantly evolving. And the thing about their defense that is really impressive is it involves it evolves through the course of a season and yeah. even a game. And that's I think that versatility. Uh, multiplicity offensively and defensively is something that <laughs> is something that I think is a, a value in the modern NFL. Yeah. I just, um, I think this is one of the hobby horses that I really do believe is a signal that when you have teams that have these great coordinators who sometimes are even better than the head coaches on that current team, when they leave, it can have these drastic effects. And I know that like you can, you could point to the 49ers as masking that because they've lost McDaniel, they've lost to Miko Ryans, et cetera, et cetera. But like, I still look at that defense and like that probably would have been a better defense with Miko Ryans running it. Like those edges would have, would have functioned better. And not every coach, like you, like you say, can be Kyle Shanahan who can run a program that well, or Andy Reid who can keep institutional stability when they lose those big pieces. Yeah. Planning for the next step is like being a college coach in some ways, except you're not planning for the next step of players. You plan for the next step of um, coordinators and coaches. That's why I love you, Dominique. I literally was in my head going, this is collegiate. Like that whole model yeah. of having a program so holistically built that you – and it's honestly, it's something I've heard you and I know plenty of others talk about for the challenge for defensive head coaches who are getting these jobs where the mm-hmm. fear around the league is always your offensive mind on staff is going to get poached for one of these head jobs. And so you've constantly got to be a step ahead in the planning of how you're going to account for that in building your program out. Yeah, I yeah, I agree with that, but I guess the the I guard against believing that you can consistently have a schematic advantage week to week no matter how smart you are. Sure. Uh and that's tough. I I think it's the point we made earlier on in the show is that you need to be able to evolve and evolve quickly because whatever advantage you develop is not going to be is not going to be sustainable and it's not just evolve your scheme it's it's also evolve your roster and that's where uh finding the open space and that goes back to the point you were making about how the size and athleticism of d linemen change based on what the offense is doing and if you're the first offense to once you guys reach that tipping point of oh we got all pass rushers up here you're the first offense to shift to like power rushing you got a small Mm -hmm. schematic advantage for uh, uh, whatever time it takes everyone else to catch up. And there's a disadvantage that comes with it. Also trade-offs, my other favorite terminology. All right. That was fun football. 
Anyway, thank you, Gojo. Unless you got any parting shots, you want to tell us a story about about Vegas or what happens in Vegas stays there. No, I just, I mean, I saw you guys at the at the New Heights party, which I think you guys have talked about on here, your run-ins yeah. with Lane Johnson. I just laughed that in this room full of famous people, I was legitimately the most starstruck to see Kylie and Donna Kelsey. By far. Same. And I didn't have the nerve to go up and introduce myself. You didn't see, um, what, there was like a Backstreet Boy there too. Really? NSYNC. Oh, it's Joey Fatone. Joey Fatone was in the building. I don't know. That's, I mean, that's cool. I was more of a Backstreet Boys guy anyway. And plus, I was by you guys, like, blown away by how tall Rasheed Wallace was. Seeing Rasheed Wallace in person in general blew me away just because of when I grew up, but then reminding myself that 6'10 is tall as hell uh, is a real drunken revelation that you can only get. All right. right. That that just sparked another memory in my mind. I will, (laughs) I will share that in a second. First of all, thank you, Gojo, for being here. Thank you, Charlie, for producing. Thank you to all the other producers, Megan, Kevin, Brian, Serafina. We miss you, Padre. But also the thought that I will leave everybody with a great moment in my life. I got a young blood. Keep doing what you're doing from a very special person. Hall of Famer Bruce Smith sought me out in the club and gave me a strong dap and pulled me in and said, keep doing what you're doing, young blood. Oh, great. Everybody go away. Have a great day. Have a great week. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) This is the Dominique Foxworth Show.